0: Quality of opportunity stripped us up for so long, because we've thought about the beginning, but we haven't thought about the end. How do we get to equality of outcomes? right? And equality of outcomes, you only get there through equities, that bit in the middle. It's how do we understand the unique barriers that people face? How do we give them the unique solutions that they need to be able to thrive in an equal way?
1: Welcome back to Deciphered, a series of conversations with black creators and thinkers worldwide who are leaning into their roots to create new spaces for all of us. I'm Christabel in Siabwadi. If you're a podcaster or a creator in general, part of what you want to do is change minds. But when you're working in an industry where metrics for success might change, And you might not be making money out of your passion. How do you consistently push for change and how do you do that without burning yourself out? And as you know, I like to talk to people who are reframing narratives about black people and their cultures. And on today's show, I have someone who does exactly that helps people reframe stories that is. His name is Tolu Ferinto. He is the founder of Limitless Life, a music festival which is launching on April the 16th, 2022 at the Roundhouse in Camden, London. And it has a social purpose at its core, which is having the aim to reach, inspire, connect, and equip aspirational talent from disadvantaged backgrounds who are often disenfranchised. He has a podcast of the same name, Limitless, which you can listen to wherever you get your favorite podcasts. He's also the ethnicity and social mobility specialism lead at Utopia, which is a culture change business that creates more inclusive, healthy, and entrepreneurial cultures for clients. He wears a lot of hats, people. Mm -hmm. Tolu, welcome to Decided. I'm really excited to have you on.
0: Absolute pleasure.
1: We will get to the festival for sure. But, you know, I work in the podcast industries, you know, and I've been in rooms where people are trying to measure success, right? Is it audience size or is it cultural impact? You know, the kind of stuff that people talk about, like the latest viral video. And I'm sure given the work that you do, you have heard similar things. But what does success mean for you, especially as somebody who's a change maker?
0: What is success? I mean, success for me is a very personal thing. And I look at it from an intrinsic perspective, like, like, you know, I think I'm quite fortunate to be very self-aware. I think my uncle um, brought me up that way. But internally for me, success is being able to do what I'm good at. And from an early age, I knew I was a good communicator. I had great ideas um, and I kind of wanted to use those skills. I remember my mom always said to me, you know, one day you're going to be a lawyer just because I could talk and talk and talk and argue my way out of anything. So success for me was kind of doing what I was good at and expressing myself and sharing ideas. And I always had a passion for helping other people. And I guess that actually came from my mother because I saw her as a very, very giving person. And I got to a kind of stage in my life where I was kind of interpreting the world. And I realized that in some areas I was succeeding as a consequence of my ability to communicate, but overall there were common themes and trends that I was seeing which were holding me back and also my peers back who looked similar to me. So, success was always for me, like how can I help others um, succeed? How can I bring out the best in them? And If I look at it from an external perspective, that's the intrinsic. If I look at it from an external perspective, yes, of course, you know, you want all the trimmings that that life can give you and all of the things that are related to status. And for me, it was like, how can I connect the two? So it's like, you know, from an internal perspective, I'm helping others. I'm helping people thrive and changing the world in some way shape or form which allows it to be more inclusive but also how can i get all the accolades that come come with that and and the the external trimmings and and, and validations so i guess for me in a a short succinct sentence success for me was just you know how can i help others be who they are how can i help others overcome the barriers that they face but also you know how can i live this good life
1: (laughs) i mean that's real though and i think like you're talking about that good life and i was thinking Ahead of our conversation, I was thinking about what success meant for me when I was younger, right? And it was that good life that you talk about, right? It's the nice car, she's say, in the big degree, as, yep. as you'd say, you know, and the big powerful job. And when I distill it, it really came down to this I was looking for power and influence. And that came from wanting to feel safe, mm. right? Because I grew up in an environment, because I'm not talking about my home environment per se. I mean, I grew up in London, like you. I grew up in a country where I very much understood that or I felt like I wasn't liked, right? So how can I change that society? So I think for me, like I had these two things that kind of ran parallel to each other and sometimes clashed. And I know I'm not the only person to think like that. So if on one hand, you want the influence to change, which is what a lot of creators do, but you also know that you're not boiling. So you need to be able to eat, mm. which is another kind of success. They're constantly clashing against each other, right? But I'm talking to you who's gone. I was able to talk about these things and shift it and, you know, and shift things a little. And like we see in your work, but you can feed yourself. <laughs> Tolu, how are you doing this? What's the secret sauce? How did you get the confidence to recognize you could do that and get a paycheck?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. And I think the answer is, I think I had the confidence to pursue it as a career. You know, culture change, inclusion, and diversity, helping people, uh, social entrepreneurship, those are buzzwords now, and they are popular. But I would say that I started my career as a change maker over a decade ago. And, and back then, even though there was social entrepreneurship and change making going on. It wasn't necessarily the thing. You know, people didn't really necessarily pay that much attention to it. There was no kudos, no praise, no, no status around it. And I just knew that that was what I was good at. I knew that I was good at influencing people. I knew I was good at creating change and, and articulating challenges that people couldn't see. So I, I took the brave step of pursuing that career. And to be honest with you, it didn't pay straight away. I mm, we yeah, yeah 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 it. exactly it's, it's, it's a story it, it didn't pay it didn't pay straight away I don't know we're talking in, in monetary terms and from the outset there was um there was no money at all businesses and brands were saying you know we don't have any budget for this we don't have any budget to make our organization more inclusive we don't have any budget to rethink the way that we recruit people to you know build interesting dynamic partnerships to, to reach new talent and it's was tough from the outset and you know i I was pursuing a career as a change maker while also working in a bar and i did that for five and a half years before i was able to transition properly into being a change maker when there were budgets and and jobs that were affiliated and associated with with that role
1: but i have to ask you a question here right i know that it was about a, a culture change in that sense right but you were part of the lead in that sense if the budgets didn't exist and then at some point they did. What did it take for you to convince, or to change people's minds and creatively? What you do, I see that through the lens of, of creativity. You're not just talking about, you know, business, but you're also asking people to shift the way that they think. And so you have to do that in creative ways. So what do you think you did to convince people to basically part with the shekels, the pounds and the pennies?
0: I, I think fundamentally it was storytelling. It was helping them understand mm-hmm. where they are, helping them understand what they can't see. And, you know, people talk about ignorance and blind spots, but ignorance, they, they talk about it as, as a pejorative term that, you know, people are ignorant, organizations are ignorant, but really it's just a lack of information. All of us are constantly learning, unlearning and relearning. And if you can help people learn through storytelling, there's a magic that comes with that because they go, "Ah, oh, I never really looked at it from that perspective. I never really looked at it at, in that way. And I think a bit of storytelling, I think a bit of facts and figures, because that always helps, you know, people who like the statistics, mm-hmm. they, they really tune in right, if right. you can underpin it underpin it with a statistic or even a business case. So I think a bit of storytelling and also a bit of facts and, and data, that's really what's helped me shift people's mindsets, because, you know, we all bound around the world with our own a unique perspective of the world and and we often don't get a deep appreciation for other people's experiences we don't get a deep appreciation for how other people are navigating the world and you know part of that is ignorance it's biases affinity bias confirmation bias attribution bias whatever you want to do you can go and deep dive those different biases but you know we, we tend to surround ourselves with people who look and sound like us so if we do come into contact with information and a story that is different to ours, it can be illuminating to the challenges that we've just never considered, the barriers that we've never considered, the unfairness in our societies, worlds, businesses that we've never considered. And I think f- for me, part of storytelling is helping people identify and understand where they sit within that story. So, You know, we we have systems, we have hierarchies, whether it's class, whether it's uh, race in, in, in certain instances. And where do they sit within that story, within that hierarchy? How can I help them understand the opportunity that comes with the privileges they experience through examining my own privileges? So I'll often say to them, you know, I am a heterosexual, cisgendered black man without a disability, which means... I will never face discrimination for being a woman, I will never face discrimination for being part of the LGBTQ plus community, I will never face discrimination for having a disability, but in those things are privileges and even though I have and unfortunately probably will face racial and ethnic discrimination, I can still be an ally and I can still use my privileges for good. So storytelling helping people understand the, the various challenges and barriers that other people face helping them understand where they sit in it and what their role is is a fundamental part in helping them understand what needs to change and how they can change it and once those two things are, are there once you kind of fill their blind spots and you you enable them to feel empowered around you know their role in the change then magic really starts to happen
1: talking about this storytelling because you know I love a good story what does that story typically look like like are you building out that story so that you're meeting them halfway because people always say you meet people where they are I think that applies for when you're no matter what kind of creation you're doing whether it's a podcast whether it's a book you have to understand who your audience is right mm. and not in that cynical way so what does the story look like
0: for you yeah I think you're, you're 100% right in terms of meeting people where they are I think often if you know a lot about the challenges that we face as a society or as different groups of people in all of us intersectionality can be frustrating with the rate of change so naturally that frustration mm. comes out in the way that we discuss these challenges i think for me i always can empathize and you know, please don't come for me, but I can always empathize with yeah. ignorance because in my head, I, I I always say to myself, well, why would a CEO at the top of an organization who's a white middle-aged man understand the complexities of what it is to be black? He wouldn't. So in educating him and enlightening him about those challenges, I can't necessarily judge him because he's just never experienced it. Now, You know, if we're going to go into the business case and understand how diverse teams create better solutions and how belonging is the fundamental part of high-performing teams, psychological safety, you know, if he wants to build a business for the future as a CEO, he should understand those things, but he should understand those things as a consequence of building his cultural intelligence, connecting with different communities in an empathetic and authentic way. But from the outset, when I'm talking to him and educating him and telling a story, I'm approaching it from a place of no judgment. I know you don't know what you don't know. But I'm going to tell you what you don't know, because I'm going to assume that, you know, you are egalitarian person, you are progressive person. (laughs)
1: Good intentions. Good
0: intentions. And in most cases, people do, but they don't understand how their lack of inaction and ignorance can actually be bad intentioned because it creates a lack of action. So I often will just say to them, look, this is what you don't know. And I understand that you don't know this. And this is why you need to know it and this is why it needs to change and fundamentally if they don't change that's when the judgment kicks in that's when that's when
1: the problems yeah but that's when
0: i'm a little bit harder with them i'm like look (laughs) you don't you can't fall on (laughs) ignorance as an excuse anymore because i've given you the information i told you exactly i've given you the information and as um my angelou said you know it what i'm I'm probably gonna paraphrase this and, and butcher it but she says once you know better, you do better. Something along those something along mm-hmm. those lines, and I think that's a fundamental human truth. Once we acquire information, we we act differently and we process things differently. Right.
1: I should say, listeners, Tolu also has a podcast called Limitless. You talk about success a lot on this podcast and the reframing of it, which is part of the inspiration for us talking. And you talk to leaders in business. You talk to leaders in media. You had Jasmine Dotiwala, who I I've loved her from from jump because she's done a lot of great stuff in British media. And I just remember her as one of few black and brown faces on TV growing up. And so you talk about the success. So I want to circle back just a tiny bit more before we get onto a Limitless Live itself about what you've learned talking to these individuals about defining and redefining success. Because to me, it's interesting. I think that in the UK, we're encouraged to be quite timid and this idea of success seems to be reserved to a small group of people who don't necessarily look like us so we say so anyone who wants to expand and redefine Mm -hmm. it's kind of called you know uppity. some people would say too big for your boots so what have you learned from these individuals who kind of
0: like kicked the doors up down sideways and exploded them what i've learned from them is you have to be fierce and single-minded about what what you want in terms of success you know as a black man and you talked about uppity anytime I mm-hmm. state my worth or my intention I'm called arrogant or if I achieve something or I want to achieve something come too ambitious and all of these things are you know coded language to
1: how can you be too ambitious I wonder. Well, I don't know.
0: I actually don't know. That's a great question. I actually don't know how you can be too ambitious. <laughs> and I think from a person, you know, who, who grew up on a, I mean, it's going to sound like a cliche, but it's not a cliche because it's my life, but who grew up on a council estate and, you know, came from a single parent home. My ambition was the, was the catalyst for me overcoming my circumstances, was the catalyst for, for me mm-hmm. imagining a world outside of my immediate environment. So I guess you're right I don't think you can be too ambitious I don't I don't, I don't think you can um, mm-hmm. but you know from what I learned you have to be single minded and you have to be brave and and fierce I think what I learned about success is and you mentioned it is I think when you are young you attribute success to external validation so it could be you know the big car it could be the big house it could be the big degree it could be the accolades and so on and so forth and to an extent that is success because if you look at you know the the model that dictates whether we feel included within society or whether we feel excluded it's it's called scarf there is an element of social status that is needed There's an element of certainty. There's an element of autonomy, and there's an element of relatedness, and then and then fairness. And I think when you're younger, you probably put more emphasis on social status. You probably put a little bit more emphasis on certainty and a bit of autonomy, but probably not because you know as long as you're earning two million, you don't care if you're if you're needed to be in the office from Mm -hmm. nine to eight, like depending on like how old you are. But as I explored what success was or meant with my interviewees I I started to understand that actually once they had acquired all of those things it wasn't as fulfilling as they thought it would be so yes they definitely needed that social status they needed to be able to identify and prove that they were successful or could do something and could achieve something they needed the certainty of you know having the job and having the titles and to a degree they, they had autonomy you know with power influence money comes autonomy I guess but for them there may have been relatedness that was missing and also fairness that was missing like what was their role in wider society what was their output from their job impacting society and communities and I think as they got older they started to shift what success meant to them. And, and really they, they were trying to connect with something that had a deeper impact on communities, had a deeper impact mm-hmm. on society and the world. And I think purpose was then something that was prioritized for them and what they saw as, as their purpose. But it's, it was quite interesting for me because I know I mentioned it right, right at the beginning in terms of what, what success means for me. And I think it's probably summed up in what I said in terms of connecting what is the intrinsic idea of success so what you think is success for you regardless of the external stimuli and then also connecting to the external stimuli because we can't pretend like we're not human beings living with other human beings Uh um, seeking belonging it's a fundamental human need Uh and social status in and amongst other human beings is a fundamental need certainty in and amongst other human beings is a fundamental human need Um, autonomy is a fundamental human need feeling a sense of relatedness and belonging is a fundamental need and fairness uh you know the the idea that things are fair and balanced is also part of our moral makeup and we, and we don't want to feel like we are um in any way uh, experiencing life in a lesser capacity than anybody else it
1: sounds like you're trying to create all of those things for others through limitless life in one way or another. Yeah,
0: I mean, Limitless Live is probably a a culmination of my lived experiences. I grew up uh, working closely with charities and being mentored by change makers and and policy specialists. And I understood what it took to create change at societal, political and policy perspective. There was a rigor that was needed. And working with organizations in my capacity at Utopia, I I understand the process that's needed to, to help leaders understand a particular issue and then take action so i put that brain with the policy political brain and you know i love entertainment i can listen to music every waking uh, minute of the day but i just decided to connect those three things so if i was going to describe limitless in one sentence it would be the intersection between brands entertainment and culture change and it's essentially like solving the problem of every time i go into a business i speak to business leaders HR leaders and they say you know how do we how do we reach aspirational talent from underrepresented backgrounds and I say well you just have to do things differently you can't do the same thing and expect different results but the process Hmm. of doing so in an authentic way takes time Mm -hmm. you have to build the relationships who are the charities on the ground the individuals on the ground who are supporting young people long term not in short stints not through some jazzy charity and don't get me wrong all charities are great but We know that system is also flawed. So it's like, you know, how do you reach those individuals exactly where they are? And for me, it was, okay, well, how do I create a music moment, which everybody loves? If you're a young person in London, you probably Mm. listen to music every day. If you are a brand or senior leader, you Uh listen to music and are enamored with music. So how can I create a music moment? a space where young people live and something that brands and businesses want to engage in? And then how do I connect opportunities to that music moment to allow brands to actively create opportunities, reach new communities in a dynamic way? So if they have a recruitment talent pipeline, if they have new opportunities, internships, um, apprenticeships, entry roles how can I connect the young people that exist within those networks and communities and charities Mm. to that in a a very very unique way so that's what I decided to do I decided to create a music moment I decided to help brands shape opportunities in authentic ways that they could show up at Limitless Live and and with the platform and yeah it's been a great success we we launched the 16th of April at the Roundhouse it's our first event um, and first of many Who's
1: going to be there? We
0: have an incredible lineup. We have Ray, Miss Banks, Unknown T, Miss La Familia and DJ Cuppy who will be performing. I mean, it's a blockbuster lineup for the Roundhouse.
1: Man, it is. Even this old lady knows who these people
0: are. <laughs> it's, a blo- it's a blockbuster lineup. And I'm so, I'm really proud of it because really it's just the seed. You know, how can, how can we do things differently? You know, we...
1: How can we do things differently? How can differently? we do things
0: differently? And I always say to people... I speak to these days it's like yes rising in employment is a sad headline rising cost of living is a sad headline but are we actually thinking at the thinking of the people empathizing with the people at the heart of those challenges who are disproportionately impacted by those challenges and in our positions within brands or if you are a leader of a brand is how are you connecting to those individuals how are you giving them the opportunities to thrive within your business and if you're not you're not doing enough that's just a starting point
1: I feel like there's been a disconnect between the leaders, so to speak. It's going to sound really cliche, but in terms of services that people are supposed to provide and the people who are supposed to get them, right? Or the leaders who are running them, who say there are opportunities, and the people who actually live life on day to day. What you're doing in terms of the change that you are making is about bridging, attempting to bridge that gap. But it feels like a chasm to yeah. me from the outside in. What success have you had? in bridging that gap because i feel it feels like quite a dangerous time as a result it of that. is
0: it is and you're, you're right to call it a chasm because it is a chasm it's a vacuum it's so big vacuum yeah it's a vacuum um yeah. what do i do to bridge that gap i guess you know in merging or wearing those hats like i do working with charities and consulting them with them on an ongoing basis enables me and gives me the intelligence that I can then take into boardrooms when I'm working with Utopia. And it's necessary Mm. because, you know, we can, silos can easily be created, you know, once you don't have different voices in a room. And we know Mm. there aren't many different voices in a room because diversity and inclusion is a topic, is a hot topic at the moment. Um, And for me, Mm. it's just reminding people that in creating that strategy, in making that business decision you may be excluding these set of people you may be excluding these groups of people as a consequence of not really understanding their lived experience it's like you have to rethink the way you pay people because you know it's just even (laughs) that just even that as as a thought starter and they'll ask why and you'll be like well you know, these are the circumstances. These are the circumstances that certain groups of people are living in. They're not living in zone one and two with their parents. And I know I'm I'm tapping into stereotypes. and.
1: As you say that, I want to jump in. When Tolu's talking about zone one and two, in London, the transport system is divided into six zones. And zone one and two is central London, where the money is also concentrated and the power. And zones three, four, you know, kind of suburban, but you still got it. And five and six, you're basically yeah, yeah. in the boonies. I lived in zone five. <laughs> Please I did I lived, I lived I lived it's not a competition, <laughs> yes, so. but I did
0: live in zone six. So and it was it was intense. Yeah. You yeah, win yeah. it. It's not a competition, but you <laughs> it win it. It was way out. But you know <laughs> how how you know for the US folk or people globally is like if you're not central, if you're not in the heart of the city where, you know, all the opportunities are and your office isn't a twenty minute kind of journey or ten minute, fifteen minute journey from from your home, is You know, how difficult is it to travel into the city? How difficult is it to access the workplace? What are the circumstances within your life? Are you, as a person who has a job, are you the only breadwinner within your household? Are you the one who's the only contributor from an economic perspective? And what is the pressures with that? Is there inherited debt that you have to pay down? Is there, like, what's the cost of travel that comes out of your pay packet? And that's where I think the, the notion of equity really co- comes in because equality is what's kind of tripped us up for a very, very long time. Equality of opportunity specifically because it's just like, oh, yeah, we'll give everybody the same thing. Like we'll, we'll pay everybody 18K as a starting salary and, you know, that's fair. But it doesn't mm-hmm. take into account your lived experience. It doesn't take into account the unique It doesn't barriers. take
1: into account your travel card, no, exactly. also known as the Oyster card, which costs a buku dollar. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah that you might have to travel you can tell that i'm feeling this because this is what i used to have (laughs) to do at one point travel an hour and a half one way if you're working in central london but you can't afford the rent to live anywhere near there and you have to live in your parents house which is in zone five yeah so
0: it's an hour hour and a half there and an hour and a half back because three hours in total exactly so yeah and i think that's where that's where the idea of equity comes in and helping people understand that actually we we need to think differently Um, about the solutions that we create because they need to incorporate the unique barriers that people face and you know equality of opportunity stripped us up for so long because we've thought about the beginning but we haven't thought about the end what how do we get to equality of outcomes right and equality of outcomes you only get there through equality and equality is sorry equity is that bit in the middle it's how do we understand Mm -hmm. the unique barriers that people face how do we give them the unique solutions that they need to be able to thrive in an equal way and ultimately, that's that's kind of what I do in terms of breach, bridging that chasm vacuum. I ensure that I'm in spaces, and um, from an ethical perspective as a change maker, I just sure that I'm just make sure that I do the work that I'm connected to the voices yeah. that aren't heard, um, and ensure that I relay those challenges and barriers to the senior leaders, and vice versa in terms of the opportunities. How do I relay the opportunities that exist within these spaces back into the communities and networks that I work with often?
1: my final question for you is what tips would you give to storytellers who are reframing and reshaping these narratives in order to create equity in your case what's worked for you
0: i think empathy has worked for me you know even though between the two of us christabel you know even though we share similarities i still won't have a deep appreciation for your lived experience because we are two different people but Mm -hmm. i can connect to the things that connect us and I think with with everybody i try to tap into the emotion when storytelling so for example like what is it like to be excluded as a woman of color as a as a man of color what is it like um how can you connect to that as a a leader within an organization who doesn't have that lived experience well everybody has been excluded at some point whether it's their family members excluding them their friends excluding them everybody's felt what it likes to be on the outskirts and some people haven't which is an An immense privilege. great for them, great mm-hmm. for them. It's an immense privilege, but how can you connect to the emotion at the heart of feeling excluded? So even though you you won't understand the nuance of my lived experience, you can still connect to the feeling and emotion. How do we ensure that nobody feels lonely, sad, left out, underappreciated, silenced as a consequence of feeling excluded? And we all have in some way, shape or form. Some people, most people have in some way, shape or form. And I think connecting to empathy is, is an important tool that I use. And quite recently, I've been talking about the impact. You know, as I mentioned earlier, um, cost of living is rising. Uh, food poverty is rising and employment is mm-hmm. rising. And those are sad, horrifying headlines. But what are the emotions at the heart of that? People are feeling unempowered they're feeling disillusioned they're feeling ostracized from society because they they're choosing between heating their homes and feeding their families now the emotional impact of poverty something that's not talked about it's like how have you felt not being able to access something that you believe that you should be able to access like Mm -hmm. society getting on a bus getting on a train you can't afford that because you're making decisions about how you spend the little money that that you have and I think a big part of storytelling for me or or key tip is connecting to empathy because if you can really empathize with somebody's lived experience it sets the priority to drive change Um, and that's what I try to do with with leaders the other tip is keep keep it simple keep it simple you know you you have a window of opportunity or a window of attention with with most people and how do you drive the point home and drive it home quickly We all like the sound of our own voices, especially myself. Uh, So it's like, you know, how do we just keep it short and sweet? Look, man, there's a crisis going on here. People are suffering. You know, we're not not thinking about the emotional impact. What can we do? Boom. It's like, okay, what do you want me to do? Well, this is where you are in your organization. This is the power that you have. These are the different things, different strands, opportunities, activations, initiatives that you're running. This is how you can plug them into these organizations to achieve this outcome. Brilliant. Let's let's get it done. Um so I think keeping it simple, and I know, I know I'm probably being very, very reductive there in 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 my explanation of keeping it simple, but you know, people people don't people don't have infinite time, they have finite time these days. There's lots of things that are competing for people's attention. And I think the last thing is master your brief.
1: Um master your brief.
0: Master your brief. I think okay for a very for a very very long time and you know it's it's a um ethical imperative that when you go into rooms you understand the challenges that you're talking about you're not just talking for the sake of talking because you managed to get in the room because you do more you do more harm than good master your brief what is the challenge what is the challenge as the person who has the privilege of being in that room and articulating that challenge what is it do you know it are you speaking to the right people are you being informed by the right people master your brief
1: that is bomb because you do more harm than good if you don't Mm. oh and on that note i want to thank you so much for your time because you're a busy man it's been brilliant talking to you thank you so much for your time and for your expertise and your wisdom i'm going to take that home with me as a reminder i have things to do master your brief master your brief (laughs) thank you so much for listening to my conversation with tolu farinto the founder of the limitless live festival taking place in london on april the 16th 2022 you can follow tolu on social media he is at t underscore farinto that's f-a-r-i-n-t-o on instagram and on twitter that's at t-f-a-r-i-n-t-o-90 that's t farinto 90 on twitter and more information about limitless live will be found on our website which is at wwwthe cipher Again, that's www.thecipher.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe the podcast and tell all your friends to do the same. Deciphered is a podcast for the Cipher newsletter. You should sign up to the newsletter to discover more great podcasts from Africa and the diaspora and get production tips from industry pros through our website. Tess Goodwin edited Deciphered and Christabel Inciabwari, that is me, executive produced and hosted the show. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time. Deciphered is a My Lens Media production.